Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. All right, thank you everybody for be here, being here. And uh, this is um, a breakout session where we're going to be talking about the power of relationship as it is defined in discipleship. I hope everybody got notes. Does anybody need notes? You did not. Does anybody need any notes? We've got some extra down here. Okay. All right. Good deal. So if you have your notes, we'll try to follow them the best that we can. And um, got the PowerPoint here. Can everybody see the PowerPoint? (laughs) So hopefully you can see that. We'll try to keep up with that as much as possible. Let me get my clicker here. And uh, like I said, we're talking about the power of discipleship relationships, how we use our influence and leverage that to accomplish the goals of discipleship. Uh, to accomplish our, our, our disciple, in our disciple, moving forward and living for Jesus Christ, walking in the Spirit. And, um, and so let's pray real quick, and then we will get started into this lesson. Father, as we come to you, Lord, we, we recognize you, Lord Jesus, as the King of the universe. And Lord, we know that uh, you have been given all power. And uh, God, we thank you that you have chosen us to be ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors for Christ, that, that you hold all power and yet you give us the power through your word and your Holy Spirit uh, to not only lead people to Christ and salvation through the gospel, but also to teach them all things that you have commanded us through discipleship. And, And so, Father, as we talk about today about the power of our relationships uh, that we develop with our disciples, uh, Father, we pray, God, that you would just speak to our hearts, that you would speak through your word that like you always do. And more importantly, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit wants us to hear so that we can lead this session uh, with uh, a knowledge from your word and an example from your word of how we can have greater relationships to accomplish your work in this world. And so, Father, as we, as we do this session, Lord, as we open your word, God, just uh, help us to hear from you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you want to go ahead and take your Bible uh, and turn to uh, the book of Philemon. All right. So we're, we're going to be in Philemon a little bit. And after we get past our introduction, we're going to look there and uh, talk about some relationships. I I believe everybody here understands the importance of relationships as it is concerned uh, with discipleship. The relationship between a disciple and a discipler is what we're talking about. And and I believe we all understand the importance of relationships in ministry in general, right? Um, Alan Shelby, who was in here just a moment ago, uh, has a a saying that's quoted much amongst our LFL fellowship, uh, that the ministry runs on the rails of relationship. And life for man starts with a relationship until we have a relationship established with the Father. Through a new birth, we're dead. There is no relationship, and when that new life begins in us, a relationship is cultivated and one is held accountable uh, for for their life and how they nurture that relationship. So even for us, uh, as, as human beings, real life does not occur until a relationship is started with the Father. Uh, through Jesus Christ. So discipleship is impossible without a relationship. It's impossible. And the success of discipleship is determined by how you foster your relationship with your disciple and leverage that relationship to accomplish the goals that I'm sure that uh, if you don't know what the goals are, then there's a class that is being taught this week that maybe you can attend. So let's be really clear as we start out. Building a relationship with someone is not the goal of discipleship, right? 
Uh, now, that's not the goal. The, to have a relationship with your disciple, that is not the goal. If that's the case, then I'm opening a coffee shop and calling it Discipleship House and just everybody come and we'll just build a bunch of relationships, right? But we know that that's not discipleship. It's not the relationship. That's not the goal. Um, to just build a relationship. And the success of discipleship is important for a relationship to, to bud and, and we foster that relationship. The success of discipleship is determined by how you foster your relationship with your disciple and you leverage it to accomplish those goals, but it's not the goal. Okay, so without a, a building a relationship, the goals of, this, of establishing the disciple and the worship and the word and the work of God, it won't be accomplished. So although it's not a goal, it facilitates us accomplishing those goals because you're not going to establish someone in the word of God if you don't have a relationship with them in the word of God. You're not going to establish someone in the, the work of God or the worship of God if you don't have a relationship and you're, you're not doing that. You know, how do I know my disciple is established in the Bible if I don't ever meet with him and ask him the question, are you reading your Bible daily? I don't know that. There, there, are, there are key ways that we accomplish the goals through relationship. And so this afternoon, I'd like to talk to you about using your relationship as a discipler to influence your disciple to be a disciple who's faithful to the work. And to me, that's, that's the work that we should be doing is the work of the Lord. What's the work of the Lord? 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And as Mark Trotter would say, what was the work of the Lord? It's the work that the Lord was doing while he was here working. And I'm sure that you've heard that phrase before. And what was that work? Well, it was preaching the gospel, although at that time it was a different gospel. It was a gospel of the kingdom. But for us, it's still our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. We preach the gospel and we teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. It's the, that's the third part of the Great Commission. It is discipleship. That is the work of the Lord. That's the work that the Lord was doing while he was here working. He was preaching and he was discipling. He was preparing for his departure. He was preparing to die and to be risen so that he could go back to be with his father so that he could leave the ministry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, and that there would be ambassadors that were left here. And of course, you and I, we are those ambassadors today. And so uh, the work of the Lord is extremely important. And without relationship in discipleship used properly, we're not going to accomplish the goals. We don't accomplish the goals. We don't accomplish the work because the, the goals actually are the work. Sharing the gospel, discipling those that will follow. So let's look at some relationships in the Bible this morning, some examples, and see how the discipler influenced the disciple to be established in the work of the Lord. In these examples, uh, we're going to see the power relationship in two different aspects. I want you to see the, the relationship power of these discipleship relationships in two different aspects, okay? And uh, I've already skipped that, all right. All right, so number one, you have this in your notes, the relationship power of faith. That's the first thing that I want to look at, the relationship power of faith. One of the most intriguing relationships to me in the New Testament is the bond that Paul had with Onesimus and with Philemon as well. It's a really interesting relationship <laughs> if, you, if you know the story there. I'm sure you do, but let me just kind of recap for a minute. As you know, Philemon was a slave owner and he had a slave that had stolen from him and escaped. And the slave Onesimus, was, whose name means profitable, had in a moment become very unprofitable uh, to the master. And so uh, he was unprofitable until he met a name, man named Paul after his incarceration on said offense. And he comes to know Jesus Christ as he meets Paul. Paul is incarcerated for the gospel. Uh, Onesimus is incarcerated for stealing 
And Paul leads Onesimus to Christ in jail, and that starts their relationship. And so as he leads him, he also must have spent some time. We don't know for sure. We don't have it recorded in the scripture. But we do know that there is enough time that Onesimus is with Paul that there's some discipleship that's occurring. There's some discipleship that's going on. Of course, you know the life of Paul. That's what his, his life was all about, was pouring his life into other people. And so after he disciples him, Onesimus gets out of jail before Paul does. And this is something that really makes the relationship quite interesting. He, he tells Onesimus, I, I want you to go back to the owner that you stole from. The guy that you stole from, the whole reason you were thrown in jail, and the guy that you escaped from, I want you to go back to that situation. And I, and I want you to confront that. And, and then Philemon, he gives uh, uh, to Onesimus, he gives a letter. And I want you to give this to your, your owner. I want you to give this to the guy you stole from. And I want, you to, I want you to give him this letter because this letter is for Philemon, which eventually became the letter that we have in the Word of God called Philemon, or Philemon, however you want to say that. And, uh, <laughs> and so he gives that letter. And in the letter to Philemon, Paul had such a relationship with Philemon that he says, I want you to accept this guy. I want you to completely forgive him of all the wrong that he's done to you. That's, a, that's just crazy right there. That, that is insane to me. And, and it's extremely interesting. Those are some extremely interesting relationships. Paul was able to disciple his faith into Onesimus. And he was able to disciple his faith in Jesus Christ into Philemon. Because he goes on and he, he tells us that in the book of Ephesians that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. And you see, that's faith. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. When you can forgive someone for the wrong that they have done to you, even when they don't deserve to be forgiven, guess what? That's faith in Jesus Christ because now we're applying the Word of God to our life and we're forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us because you know why? We don't deserve the forgiveness that we get from Him. Amen? That, that's radical, so to speak, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So let's read that together. In Philemon chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels, whom I would have uh, re retained with me, that in my stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel, but without thy mind would I do nothing." that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. I love that. Now, uh, not now a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So when you read that, you, you, you get a recount of the story that we just got finished talking about. But I want you to consider this. Paul's relationship was so strong with these two men that it caused a thief to believe the person he stole from would forgive him completely. And it caused a person who was robbed to forgive the person who stole from him completely. And when that happens, they both believed that it would free them both. The person who was robbed and the person who stole completely. And, and that took a, an immense amount of faith on both part of me, parties. Onesimus, he, he had to have faith in what Paul told him about Philemon forgiving him. I mean, Onesimus, I mean, could you imagine being that guy? Uh, yeah, that ain't going to happen, man. 
you know. But he said, if you go back, Philemon, he is such a disciple of Christ, he's going to forgive you. He, just believe me. Take this letter to him, and you know what? That relationship is going to be restored. And, I, and I'm telling you, it's going to be better than it ever has been. That took an immense amount of faith that Philemon was a Christian and was willing to forgive as Christ had forgiven him. That took an, a, a lot of faith. Onesimus had to have that kind of faith that he would be forgiven. And, and Philemon had to have faith that Onesimus was a changed man, totally based off of what Paul said. H how many of you ever heard this before? Well, I forgive you, but I'll never trust you. Right? Well, I'm sure glad that Christ doesn't treat me that way. Well, I, I'll, I, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget. And the truth is, in our human flesh, our old man, we don't forget things, do we? But you know what? God chooses to forget a lot of stuff about my sinfulness. And he loves me and he gives me a second chance. And you know what? Philemon, as he's reading the letter <laughs> from this dude that just stole from him and escaped, you know, because in that day and time, Onesimus was his property. And so now he's reading this letter from Paul and said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he's, he's not just a brother for a time. Uh, he's a brother forever. Yeah, you, I want you to receive him as you would receive me. Right? And I'm sure Philemon was going, yeah, he'll steal again. Once a thief, always a thief. It took an, a, a lot of faith for Philemon to receive a thief back into his house, not as a slave this time, but as a brother in Jesus Christ, free in freedom and give him his freedom back, which is what we just read. He's not coming back as a slave. He's coming back as a free, a free man, free from sin and freed from the chains of slavery. Isn't that crazy? What an interesting relationship that, that Paul had with these guys. Proverbs 27, 17, you know what it says, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And that's what relationships do. And that's what Paul is actually doing right here. And, and Paul's relationship with them both was so influential. It helped both men overcome their prejudices of one another and live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. That is a, a lot of faith. Through these relationships that Paul had, he was able to motivate a young disciple to go and do crazy things for Christ. He was able to disciple him and show him that his integrity and service for the gospel was important. And no matter where he came from, that he could serve the Lord. I can identify with this. My testimony uh, identifies with this a lot. Uh, he had to disciple a faith in Jesus Christ so much into Onesimus that Onesimus never didn't see himself as a slave anymore. And that Onesimus didn't see himself as a thief anymore. But Onesimus saw himself as a brother to Philemon so that he could go back and restore that relationship. Uh, uh, Paul helped convince him through the word of God and through his own discipleship while they were in prison together, that he could take that leap of faith and go back to the man that he stole from because he knew that if he never got that relationship back, if he didn't restore that relationship, it would follow him through the rest of whatever he tried to do for Christ. Because there would always be something in his character that he would have to confront from other people. He had to do that Matthew 18. He had to go and make it right between him and the alone, right? Before he could go on and he could serve God. And so Onesimus goes on to serve the Lord the best that we know very, very well. He, well obviously, we know that he took the letter back because we got the letter in the, in the Scripture, right? And preserved in God's Word for us. He, he got the letter and he took it back to Philemon. And we know that that relationship was healed. Um, he's mentioned outside of the book of Philemon in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 9. It says, Tychicus and Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. That's his testimony. In Philemon, we see that he has the testimony of an escaped thief. 
But in Colossians, we have a testimony of a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He's not an ex-con. He is a brother in Christ. He is one of you there in that Colossian church uh, that this is written to. And he says, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. And so now he goes back and now he's testifying for Paul in a church after he gets out of jail. He goes back to Colossae not only to be reunited with his master, but also to be a part of the local church and to be a productive part through the discipleship that he had with Paul. He's going to be a spokesman for Paul, and he's an incredible guy because he's one of three people in the whole Bible that Paul calls his son. He's one of three men in the Bible that Paul calls, this is my son. Wow, and that could only come through discipleship. You see, that's the power of relationship that we have to have in discipleship. Friends, that's what our discipleship relationships are all about. It's building and nurturing a relationship in such a way that we make our disciple believe that radical things are normal things. What Onesimus did was a radical thing. But for Onesimus, Paul convinced him that this is normal, man. Following Christ is normal. That's what you do. When you, you get saved, you follow Christ. That's what you do. That's normal. That, I mean, what did you think it was going to be? That you were just going to get saved and follow self or get saved and follow the world or get saved and follow mom and daddy or get saved and follow everybody in church? No, you get saved and you follow Christ. And that's what Paul taught. We saw that. We see that in Timothy's life with Paul. We see that in everybody's life that encountered Paul, right? You, you get saved and you follow Christ. That is normal, but to the world, and unfortunately in the church today, that is extremely radical. But it should be normal. It's a building, a nurturing, a relationship in such a way that we make our disciple believe that radical things are normal things, like giving up your life for Jesus Christ. Paul demonstrated this over and over. That's, that's God's purpose for our spiritual growth, amen, is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Guess what? That's a normal thing. Although today it seems so radical, that's really normal, supposed, according to the Scripture. That's why we disciple. Philippians chapter 2. Okay, there's another blank here. <laughs> you got to help me with these notes. So Paul was able to disciple his faith in Philemon and Onesimus, and we, we talked about that. And uh, Paul's relationship with them both was influential. It helped both men overcome their prejudices of one another and live a life of faith in Jesus Christ. And then we talked about that already. So let's go to uh, this next verse right here. If you want to turn there, you can. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And that is God's purpose for spiritual growth, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's why we disciple. We see that example over and over in Paul's life. And here we see it with his son, Timothy, another man that he called his son, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Look at this in verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, Timothy. You know the proof of Timothy that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. You see, Timothy's life had a testimony that it was a normal thing for him to give up everything and follow Paul. Timothy gave his life to serve with Paul in the gospel. And quite frankly, that was a commitment to pure trouble. When Timothy made the commitment to be Paul's disciple, he was committing to a life of nothing but trouble and hardship and suffering. Because it seemed like everywhere the guy went, he got arrested. 
And guess what? Timothy and the team was there with him through all of that, through much of that. But that wasn't radical for Timothy because Paul had discipled him to understand that it is just what you do. It's just what you do. You see, it wasn't radical for Timothy to follow Paul into a life of suffering because he knew Paul. And Paul led him to Christ, and you know what? He had heard of Paul. He had heard about his testimony. And so when he decided that he was going to follow Paul, he knew what he was signing up for, and he knew that was normal. He knew that was what was going to happen because that was, his, that was Paul's life. So he knew that if I'm going to give my life to this, then I'm going to have to live like this. So we disciple our disciples to understand that you give your life to Jesus Christ, guess what? We expect you to live for Jesus Christ. You, you can't say, I surrender all, and then you give some. And that's what discipleship is about. Because you can't have the example of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you and was slain on a cross for you, and then you expect that you're not going to have to do that for him. When he said that if you don't take up your cross, you cannot be my disciple. Oh, you can be saved, but that don't mean you're a disciple. You, you can be saved and you can call yourself saved and you're on your way to heaven, but you can't wear the name Christian because you're not Christ-like. Because Christ's example was laying down his life for his friends because there's no greater love than that. Well, guess what? If you accept that life, well, guess what you need to be living is laying down your life for your friends and showing that there's no greater love and be an example for Christ. And so Timothy, he, he, he got that from Paul. That was Paul's life. It was, it was discipled into him. And, and boy, that wasn't radical for Timothy because Paul had discipled him to understand that that's just what you do. You, you give up your life for Jesus Christ to follow a discipler. And disciplers, we better make sure that our life is surrendered if we're going to ask people to surrender to a life of surrender. You see, it was easy for Timothy because he saw the example. It was easy for Paul because he saw the example of Christ. It was easy for the Timothy's disciple to see because he saw it in Timothy, Paul, and Jesus. And the examples just keep on going. Listen, if you, if you don't have a relationship with your disciple that is exemplified through surrender and sacrifice, well, then you can't ask that of your disciple. You, you can't ask somebody to do something that you're not doing. If you're not leading people to Christ, then why in the world would you try to hold your disciple accountable to leading people to Christ? If you're not surrendering to the Lord, if you're not sacrificial to the Lord, then how in the world can we disciple that into someone else? You'll never disciple someone to be something that you're not. That is totally the opposite of what we teach and believe that discipleship is. And that all starts through a relationship. There has to be a seen example, not just a spoken example. You can't just say, well, I did this. You know, your, your disciple, it would be much more powerful if they came along with you and they saw you doing this, leading people to Christ. That's the power of our relationship. Because to the normal Christian today sitting in the pews, it's radical to go out on the street and knock on somebody's door and say, hey, you go to church anywhere? Well, better than asking you to come to go to my church with me, do you know Jesus as your Savior or as we say where I'm at? If you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? No? Can I take 15 minutes of your time and show you how you can know 100% for sure that if you died right now, you would go to heaven. Well, I can teach you that in this classroom, but if I take you and I show you that, it'll have much more of an impact. Then you won't think it's a radical thing to go share Jesus with people. Now you'd say, well, that's just what we do. There's a group of people in our church, man, college and teenagers. They go out once a month. We call them witnessing warriors. Our student pastor, Austin Dutton, he's here. He's just hired him in December. He's green, he's new, he don't know anything. He don't know any better. And so, he, he like, 
he like takes people out, old, old, old school cold knocking on doors. I mean, who does that anymore? We do. And, and people are getting saved. And these college kids and these high school people, they're seeing, you know what? That's not radical. That's just, that's just what we do. Praise God, the older people in the church ain't got a hold of them yet to say, yeah, that, that's not the best way to do that. You know, there's a, better, there's a better way. You know, maybe we can have a potluck dinner or something and invite people to come. <laughs> that's the way we do it nowadays. You know? You see, it's not radical to them because they have an example in Austin showing them, you know, that's just normal. I mean, what did you think being a Christian was about? It's about leading people to Christ, man, and discipling people. I mean, that's what you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. We have that example of Paul as, as he discipled Timothy. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus. And if you know that chapter, what he's saying there, he's saying, man, you got 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers? There's the problem with your church. You don't have many fathers. You don't have many spiritually mature people. And in, you know, chapter three, he calls them all babes. You know, boy, I wish we could get away with stuff like that today. We just can't do that today as preachers, you know. We get fired in a heartbeat. But I'm not the Apostle Paul either. So anyways, and so he calls them all babes. Well, then in verse, chapter four, he says, you, don't, you have 10,000. Everybody wants to be a teacher, but nobody really wants to have a relationship as a discipler. Nobody wants to be the example to set the bar for how other people are supposed to follow. And you need to get that right. And what you need to do is you need to follow me. And for that cause... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I bet it's up. Oh, no, it's not up here. That's the next point. And for that cause, I, I'm going to send you Timothy. Now, what you need to do is you need to follow me, uh, but I'm not coming. I'm going to send me through Timothy. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to teach you my ways, which be in Christ. Christ the example. To Paul the example to Timothy the example, to the church who needs to be an example will get their example right so that they can teach it to other people. Who shall bring you into, my, into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, 1 Corinthians 4, 17. I remember a couple years ago, a man came to me, a young man. He was struggling with what to do in his life. He had gone to a two-year college that's there in our town, Calhoun Community College. You guys know that. And uh, he, 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 man, he got his degree, drug that thing out three and a half years, getting that two-year college, got him a degree. And uh, his mom and daddy said, enough of Calhoun. You need to make a decision. What are you going to do? Because we're not paying for Calhoun anymore. I don't care how many degrees you get from Calhoun. You need to do something. Living at home, mooching off mom and daddy. And so he decided that he was going to go into the ministry. So he came to me and he said, man, God's called me to the ministry and I'm leaving for seminary in a couple of weeks. And I said, great. And I guess he thought that I would just turn cartwheels and jump for joy. Wow, you're called to the ministry. Wow, what a, you know, a feather in the cap of Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, you know. And he looked at me real funny when I said, well, that's great, you know, all in good. But uh, can you tell me how you've been called into the ministry? And... He said, oh, um, well, you know, I just love reading the Bible. I, I just can't get enough of the Bible. I just wake up in the morning. I just want to read it. And, and, you know, I love praying to God. I pray about things. I pray for people to get saved. I pray for other people. I just love talking to the Lord. I love praying. I love telling people about Jesus. I, I love just sharing the gospel. And he gave me an example of of how he shared Jesus with someone earlier, like a couple of weeks before. And I just love telling people about Jesus. And, and then he quoted a scripture. I think it was Romans chapter 10. You know, how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and they was like, and so that's how I know God has called me into the ministry. And I was like, man, that's, that's, that, all of that stuff is really great, man. I have a desire and a heart for doing that too. And, but you know what I call that? Um, I call that normal. 
I call that being a Christian. That's not a call to ministry. For any of us, that's not how God called me into the ministry. Do I love reading the Bible and praying? Some days. Not every day. I'm gonna be, I'll be honest with you. Maybe nobody else will, but I will. <laughs> I mean, I'm not jumping out of bed after I didn't go to sleep until 1230 last night and woke up at 6 o'clock this morning just, woohoo, word of God, where are you at? You know, I'm like, can I get a couple more minutes? You know, the Lord is not going anywhere. Can I just sleep 30 more minutes? You know, but I didn't. I got up and got ready and so I could have my time with the Lord. You know, that's that's not a call to ministry because you, you want to read the Bible. Well, if you're a Christian, you ought to want to read the Bible. Praying, that's what Christians do. Sharing Christ with people. When did that become a radical thing? It's the church that's made that radical, not the world, by the way. We made that radical when we stopped doing it and say, oh, that's what preachers do. Reading the Bible and studying, oh, that's what preachers do. Oh, going and actually doing ministry, that's what preachers do. So now we've taught young men in churches that if you desire those things, well, then God must be calling you to be a preacher. No, no, no. He's calling you to be a Christian and do what you surrendered your life to when you surrendered your life to Christ for salvation. Work out your salvation. I think I, I read that somewhere. I, you know, not work for it, but you work it out. If it's in you, you let it work through you and you live that life. You know, that's relationship. So, yeah, that guy quit the church, man. He's off in ministry. Well, he just graduated from seminary. He's not a member of our church anymore. Which, he had a faulty view of ministry. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what the Bible teaches. As disciples, we, we have to nurture our relationship. Had that young man surrendered to discipleship, like I paired him up to surrender to discipleship, and had he been faithful to that, he would have already known he didn't need to come and talk to me. He didn't need to choose a career path in the church, which is what he was doing. He would have known if he would have surrendered his life to Christ, God would have given him his path to take. Had he been faithful in living for Christ, which this man was not living for Christ, and I knew that. He knew that I knew that. He would have understood that Christ would have worked those things out instead of him trying to work it out based upon pressure from his mom and daddy. So as disciples, we, we got to nurture our relationships to help our disciples understand that it's normal to have enough faith to give your time to fellowship with brothers and sisters through evangelism. We've got to leverage our relationship with our disciples to help them understand and have enough faith that it's normal to give all of your money to see it leave this country, to go around the world to see people get saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and to have men and women trained to share the gospel wherever they're at. It's, we've got to use our relationship and our faith in that relationship to, to put it into other people, our disciples, and, and help them understand that it's normal to have enough faith to sell everything that you've got and move your family to Hungary or Zambia or Boston or wherever God calls you to in this world. It's normal to have enough faith to believe on the Word of God and to live it in your life. It's normal, no matter what life throws at you, to be able to say with Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. The relationship power of faith is reproducing your faith into the life of your disciples so much that they see living and sacrificing for Jesus Christ as a normal way of life for a growing Christian. And for that to happen, they have to see it in you. And you have to teach them. 
You have to be with them and they have to be with you. That's relationship. That's relationship. And there's power in that. When we reproduce our faith into someone else. The second thing has been up here for a while, so hopefully you've got that blank filled in. The relationship power of focus. The relationship power of focus. So the first part was the relationship power of faith. It makes radical things become normal things. The relationship power of focus. If you will, turn to, to, in your Bible to John 21. John chapter 21, uh, verses 15 through 19. You have it there, the reference there on the screen. John 21, 15 through 19. And John 21, 15 through 19 says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, Thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. Well, I think everybody in here knows that portion of Scripture. Jesus Christ has been crucified, and he's risen from the, the grave. The disciples have just eaten a meal with the Lord, and then Jesus and Peter engage in a conversation that Jesus, the discipler, initiates. And I believe that's extremely important to understand. The disciple is initiating the, the, the conversation there with Peter, his, his disciple. He, he asks a simple question. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He, he starts the conversation with just a simple question to his disciple. Do you love me more than these? It's a question that the Lord would ask two more times and the Lord would follow Peter's answer once with feed my lambs and twice with feed my sheep. What I believe Jesus is doing right here is he's actually restoring Peter back into the ministry. If you remember Peter, as Jesus told him, Previously to his, previous to his uh, crucifixion, that you'll deny me thrice, three times, you're going to deny me. You say you'll give your life for me, but you're actually really going to deny me. And, and so he's really kind of fixing that in Peter. It, 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 and I think that you remember all of that. And so this seems to be, and I think this is the next slide, this seems to be a very intimate time between a discipler and a disciple. And what the discipler is doing is getting the commitment from the disciple to do the work of the ministry, which is feed my lambs, feed my sheep, right? So he's reaffirming Peter's commitment to that work. And that work is feed my lambs, feed my sheep. For us today, the feed that we feed with is none other than the Word of God. And so I, I believe there's three conclusions that we can make as it relates to the powerful relationship of the discipler and the disciple to finish the Lord's work, okay? To finish the Lord's work. And so what we do is we focus on commitment and using our relationship with our disciple to help them focus on the ministry that, that we are all called to do through Jesus Christ that is commitment. Our, our relationships, it should focus on three things. And so there's three things that we're going to look at. The, the first thing is 
that Jesus, the discipler, is helping the disciple Peter, who has denied him three times. He's restoring him back to the work to tell him he's still useful for the work. Okay, you failed me. Well, brush it off, man. Put some dirt on it. Let's go. We've got a work to do. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not ending with your, you being disappointing. You know, let's get back in the game. And so the first thing that Jesus is wanting him to do is focus on the commitment that he's already made. Okay, you let me down. You failed me in the commitment, but you're still committed. Remember, because I'm holding you to the commitment. That's why you're still committed. You may have failed me in your commitment, but I'm holding you to that because to me, you're still committed. So if we're going to finish the task of discipleship and establish our disciple in the ministry, there must be a commitment to the Lord. Jesus asked Peter to commit three times. The task is hard and it will not be accomplished without a commitment to the Lord. I, I don't know if you've tried to live for the Lord very long, but if you've been living for the Lord very long, then you know that it's a life of true commitment because man, everything in the world is coming against you to try to get you to not live for the Lord, right? You know, even myself, even my flesh, Boy, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. Just like this morning at six o'clock, it was really weak. <laughs> it was really weak, but I knew that was my flesh. So I had to tap into the spirit to push me through because I couldn't do it in my own strength. I'm sleepy now. <laughs> so spirit, don't fail me now. And I think sometimes we forget that. And really, the difference is what Peter and the other disciples didn't do in the garden. We can't go to sleep. We've got to be committed. Can you not just pray with me one hour? Can you not just commit to one hour? Well, Christ is asking us to commit our whole life. And we have to be committed that or we're never going to finish the work of the Lord. Which I believe we can at least the work that he calls us to in our own personal way. We can do that because we each have the spirit. We have the power to do that, but we've got to be committed to that. So the task is hard. It won't be accomplished without a commitment to the Lord. In verse 15, look at that. He says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And so what Jesus is doing with that statement, Jesus is refocusing Peter on the right things. Remember what Peter said just the verse, a couple verses before that? I go a fishing. Peter said, I go a fishing. And so when, Pete, when Jesus actually gets to have the conversation with Peter, he says, yeah, that's not the fishing that I called you to. Yeah, you're going to go fishing because you're committed to me. You've already made the commitment. I'm going to hold you to the commitment. Now let me refocus you on the commitment. The commitment was not fishing with, to those fish. It was back in Matthew chapter 4 when I called you and taught you how to be a fisher of men. So let me refocus you back on the commitment and get all out of the boat and fishing for fish. Let's refocus to what we need to be committed to, which you need to be committed to me. Commitment is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 that we mentioned just a moment ago, which is, should be our commitment. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let, guess what? He's calling the church to commitment. He's calling you to be committed to the work of the Lord. There, there are two major things that I, I believe that a discipleship relationship must be committed to to accomplish the work of the Lord. And number one is purity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we're going to have a committed disciple, then we have to have a life of purity to teach them to have a life of purity. Yeah. There's no way we're going to be defiled and accomplish the work of the Lord. The second thing is we've got to have a commitment to the word of God. 
Second Peter chapter three, verses 17 through 18. Yea, ye therefore beloved, seeing ye know these things. What are these things? Well, if you go back and get the context, a couple of verses up there and read down through there, Peter is saying that Paul has already given us the doctrine that we need to be committed to, which those things that were written, obviously we had those today. We call it the Bible, the Word of God. Amen? And so what Peter is saying, you need to, we need to obey Paul's doctrine. And so he said, that's, those, that's these things that he's talking about right there in context. And he says, before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. You've fallen away from your commitment when you leave the word of God. Leaving the word of God at all times will lead you away from the Lord. And so Peter, he's saying, man, we need to stick with the word of God and we need to grow, verse 18, in grace and the knowledge that we only get through the Bible of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You see, Jesus used his relationship with Peter as a discipler in a nurturing way to lead him to be committed to him. So we need to focus. Uh, definitely, we need to be focused on what Christ wants us to focus on. And the first thing that Jesus helps Peter to do is be focused. Let's get, let's get focused back on what we're really supposed to be committed to. Living a life for Christ to fulfill the word of God. Let's, let's just focus. Let's make it simple. Let's just get back to focusing on our commitment. We as disciples, that's what we do with our disciples. Let's focus on our commitment to living a life of purity so that when we speak the word of God, it's believed through our life. And then the second thing that I see here is that we focus on the work. So not only do we focus on commitment, but we, we focus on the work. A disciple also needs to be committed to the work that God has called him to. Feed my lambs. That's the next thing that we see. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. That's not always easy. Amen. But we must establish in the disciple, a commitment to give the word of God freely. We, we do not know the, uh, I'm sorry, we, we, we do not do the work of the ministry out of a legalistic duty, but out of a heart of obeying the word of God. Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter was committed to the right thing. Was Peter going to fish or was he going to feed? You see, his ministry had changed, and, and, and that's what Paul wrote to the Colossians about. He wanted them committed to growing in Christ. Colossians 2, verses 5 through 7, it says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, look at this, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus in the Lord, listen, so walk ye in him. You received Christ, live for Christ, rooted and built up in, in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. As a discipler, you have to be committed to the Lord in his work. You have to be sharing the gospel if you're going to teach somebody else to share the gospel. Many times that is why evangelism isn't accomplished through discipleship. A discipler isn't going to lead a disciple to do something that they aren't doing. And we talked about that just a moment ago. So the discipler must first be committed to the work of the Lord. And when we are committed to the work of the Lord, then we disciple our disciple to follow in the work of the Lord. I have never had a disciple to tell me when I asked them to come and share Christ with me, come and go and share Christ with me. I've never had one disciple say, I'm not going to do that. I've never had one disciple to do that. Now, I've had some flakes, I'm going to tell you. I'm not saying I'm batting a thousand on discipleship. I've had a lot more failure than I have had success, to be honest with you. I'm just being honest. You know, I mean, there was a time in my life I prayed to God, and I was like, God, am I a bad tree? Because <laughs> my fruit ain't too, too hot. <laughs> I mean, come on, God, get me right. I want to do this right. Get me right if I got to get right. But Jesus had a Judas. Not all men are going to follow. Why? Because of what I'm talking about right here. Because in my relationship with my disciples, I make it very, very clear. No, we're, we are making a commitment together. 
I, I am asking you to straightway drop your nets and follow me. Now, I'll teach you how to be a fisher of men, and I want you to know that's exactly what I'm going to teach you to. And if you don't want to do that, then we won't disciple. And that's fine, man. I'll pray for you. I love you. I'm your brother. You can come to church here. We'll, we'll hang. We'll do whatever. But we're not going to call it discipleship because that's not discipleship. But we use the leverage of our relationship with those that will commit, just like Jesus used his relationship and leveraged it for Peter and Andrew. When they straightway left their nets and they followed him, guess what? We wouldn't be here without them because they were committed. They were committed to the work and they, they focused on the work. If our relationship is an example of commitment, then we ask for commitment. At Pleasant Grove, we teach that discipleship is not completed until the discipler has taught the disciple how to share the gospel and then has taken them out to do it together. Goal four is not accomplished until the goal is accomplished. And the work is evangelism and discipleship. So if you're not going to disciple someone, then I'm not going to disciple you. And if you're not going to lead people to Christ, then I'm not going to disciple you. Because listen, if, if goal four is establishing our disciple in the work of the ministry, that is the work of the ministry. Not singing in the choir and being an usher and keeping the nursery. Is that a form of ministry? Yes. Do we need that? Absolutely. I'm not saying those things are bad. But the work that the Lord was doing while he was here working was preaching the gospel and discipling. That is goal number four, or at least it is at Pleasant Grove. Now, you do that however you do that. But I would say, biblically, discipleship is not accomplished unless your disciple can lead someone to Christ. And you do it with them. They need to learn it from you by seeing you do it. So... Discipleship may take a little bit longer at Pleasant Grove than it does other places because we're going to make sure that they're committed to the work of the Lord, but they're also committed to the Lord of the work. So the third thing is focus on submission to the Lord of the work. So I focus on my commitment. I focus on the work, but let's not forget that we focus on the Lord of the work. Does that make sense? You, you can get so involved with ministry that it becomes your Lord. And I'm telling you, when that happens, it will lord over you. It will grind you to dust. And you know why? Because we just talked about it a moment ago. Because you're doing it in your flesh and not in the spirit. And there's no profit and there is no pleasing God in the flesh. We have to do it in the spirit and the only way we can do the work because guess what the work is hard don't 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 let me make it sound like well you know evangelism that's just what you do and evangelism is what we're going to do and we're going to be committed to that don't don't make it i don't want to make it sound like it's easy because it's not easy that's why it's called the work of the lord so it's not easy but it's terribly hard when you're trying to do it in your flesh and not in the power of the Spirit. So the only way we're going to be able to accomplish it in the power of the Spirit is to be committed not just to the work of the Lord, but to the Lord of the work. So the Gospels record, record of Jesus and his disciples begin with Jesus personally calling Peter. Look how this plays out here with Peter. Peter's personal relationship with Jesus Christ, check this out, started in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me. That's how Peter's relationship with Jesus Christ started. Follow me. The end of Peter's relationship with Jesus Christ and the last recorded conversation Jesus has with any of his disciples ends in John chapter 21, verse 19. And Jesus' command... Follow me. You see, the whole thing starts with follow me. The whole thing is sustained with following him. And it's going to all end with follow me. We never stop following him. 
I, I believe now more than ever that there is a cost of discipleship taught by the Lord Jesus. And I believe that you can sum it all up with one word, submission. That's what has to happen if you're going to follow Christ. If, if Peter was going to follow the Lord in feeding his sheep, then he was going to have to submit to the will of God that will ultimately take his life. Would you look there again in John chapter 21 and verse number 18? In John chapter 21, verse number 18 through 19, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, listen, and here's what he's talking about. He's explaining in verse 19 what he just said in verse 18. This spake he signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And when he has spoken this, he, he saith unto him, Follow me. The discipler is telling the disciple, This is going to cost you your life. Follow me anyway. Follow me. The discipler is helping through their relationship the disciple, he's helping the disciple to count the cost for the work of the ministry. He's using his influence, his relationship with his disciple to help him understand that the work is more important than anything, even your very life. It's the same question Jesus asked Peter before his betrayal. He's going all the way back. He comes to the very end and he's going all the way back before his crucifixion. In John chapter 13, verses 37 through 38, Peter saith unto him, Lord, why can I not, why, why can I, I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Really? Are you sure? You say you will. Are you sure about that? Have you really thought that through? Are you, are you really committed to laying down your life for Jesus Christ? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Here's the thing. It's worth giving your life for the work of the Lord. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. As disciples, we must use the power of relationship to help our disciples understand that before there is a work, we must co be committed to a relationship with the Lord of the work. Do you love him? And as disciples, we must use the power of relationship to help our disciples understand that you have to be committed to the work because that's the work that we must do. And as disciples, disciples, we must use the power of relationship to help our disciples submit to the Lord of the work. And for that to happen, we got to look in the mirror first. Am I committed? Am I ready to do the work? Am I submitted to the Lord of the work? If we would do that in our churches, I believe that radical things would just become a normal way of life. It's not ever going to be easy, right? The devil fights us, the world fights us, our own flesh fights us, and unfortunately, because of our flesh, we fight one another. It's never going to be easy. And the more we try to do and the more commitment that we have, the harder it gets. But you know what? We can do it if we stay committed. And discipleship is the key. Discipleship is the key. I love discipleship now um, more than I loved it back in 1996 when I got discipled. Let me tell you why. Because discipleship means more to me now because it grows me more 
than when I was actually being discipled by my discipler. I thought my discipler was holding me accountable for a year when he discipled me. I wish I could go back to that accountability because the Lord is a whole lot more better at keeping people accountable than my discipler ever was. And now the Lord, man, he, he chastens and scourges a whole lot different than that guy did. And I like that guy better, <laughs> you know, through that. That accountability was a little bit better. But hey, I also like the peaceable fruit of righteousness that that guy could not give. Man, let's be committed. Let's build relationships with people that helps them to understand what the world may seem as radical. Even some people in your church may seem as radical. Man, that's normal. That's just called Christianity. Let's just live for the Lord. Be committed to the work of the Lord and the Lord of the work. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and I love you and I thank you for your love for me and your love for these people, their love for you. And Lord, you've called us to such a great work that none of us deserve to be in. We're not qualified for it. But Father, through your spirit, Lord, you, you equip us and you, you've helped us to be discipled and you're helping us disciple other people for the work. And God, you just that's just your plan. So we're just going to submit to it. And we're going to believe in it. By faith, we're going to walk through your word to do it. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to, to change this world, turn it upside down for Jesus. And Father, we just, we need you. So Father, I pray, God, that you would just continue to speak into our lives, continue to mold us and make us into the men and women of God that you called us to be and help us to build relationships that would really make an impact, not only on the life of the person that we're discipling, but on the people that they disciple for generations. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit lffellowship.com. God bless.